0: It's your boy, WIZ Wise, and today's episode is presented by Away Travel. Quite simply, Away makes everything you need for your trip away. Away started with the perfect suitcase, then built from there, creating a range of travel standards developed from the travel stories of friends and seatmates. The pieces aren't smart, they're thoughtful, with features that solve real travel problems. To give the whole world access to better travel standards, Away took the direct-to-customer approach to lower prices, and the quality is guaranteed. Your Away suitcase will be with you for life. We are teaming up with Away and Podgo to give you the best deal on premium luggage by going to podgo.co backslash Away. That's podgo.co backslash away away travel here to make your journey seamless and this is your boy wise and i'm out peace out and welcome to another episode i am your host wize and i have a very special guest all the way from australia he's a former police officer he is now an author and he is the director of the blue flame the blue flame project clint adams welcome to the show clint
1: hey it's great to be with you today wise
0: all oh, the pleasures mine, man. I've been, uh, actually, the episode I just released today, I had a couple who are uh, there from Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania, and they wrote up, uh, they're very into anti-bullying and mental illness and everything. And they wrote some children's book to try to help with the anti-bullying and basically just show people that it's okay if you're different. So, so re- I've recently, I've been really wanting to get into more with mental health issues and everything, because I've had some friends who've, who've committed suicide and, and I've had a couple of friends who've who've lost children because their children have committed suicide and it's a big thing going on right wow. now because of the pandemic. So I know you deal a lot with things like this. What What is your take on what's going on right now?
1: Yeah, look, uh, my, my book's also around bullying and mine kind of started differently in the sense that I've worked as a counselor, I won't bore people with details of my background, but I worked as a counselor for a police force and in private practice years ago, and then I went into change management work, and I'm dealing with adults at a workplace, and so part of my my roles in that space has been about developing programs for adults to help with their leadership, help with their mental health and resilience. Obviously, when you think of, of healthy employees and in mind and body, you're more likely to get Better leadership, better interactions—all all the good stuff that come with those things. And so, you know, th- those patterns seem to emerge a lot. I started running programs to help these adults who, not necessarily always struggling, but you know, can always help with their resilience and really focus on how you can build on on having better, uh, I guess, resilience and 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 different ways of coping mechanisms and stuff like that. So, you know, over the years, I, I had many different roles, but I had a role way back where. I was in working for a healthcare provider, you know, hospitals, community centres, and health centres and stuff. And I could see statistics of really young people, eleven and twelve, on antidepressants and all the stuff that come with that. And and then you can't, you kind of start putting two and two together. Yes, I'm dealing with adults, but they're all been kids at some point. So those same kind of patterns follow you through life unless you change things along the way. And so the way it, it all kind of comes from me is about us being able to to get in earlier and help that us as kids and help kids that are much earlier age try to develop those things and, and develop skills that come with it, like even little things that people don't realise are so important and that I see with adults how they interact with each other and the conversations they have and don't have with each other is is a massive problem when they get older. And so to me, you know, it's a massive problem when we get younger. Bullying bullying's a classic where, where you know, a lot of people kind of go, oh, you know, kids not to bully other kids, but kids who would generally feel something themselves. They've got personal pain. They, they're getting bullied, treated badly by a parent and so they take that out on somebody else and they want to show dominance and show power themselves. So all those little things add up. So they're not the they're not the kids who are really going to get the parents who are really good role model. So, you know, they're, they're kind of behind the, the eight ball when it comes to what I call risk factors. You know, if, if you've got a, a kid who's being abused, childhood trauma is a good indicator that someone's going to struggle with mental health down the track, right? So what can we do if someone, we can't always stop all the trauma because the parents are the parents and they've kind of got a hold of their kids, you know, between the ages of zero and five and six. So, you know, what can we do once they get to that five or six age where it's schools and that people get more uh, involved in their lives and stuff? So, you know, for me, that's the key to it around helping kids who are traumatised not become bullies. they come into school brand new. They don't know any different. So h- how do we help them understand that, hey, if you're feeling frustrated and angry, you don't have to take it out on somebody else. You can do it in different ways. You can deal with it. We can help you. We can talk. Dialogue's a key piece of it. And so for me, that you know, that, that whole... Um how we can help kids and how we can help adults then becomes kind of the same issue. The only difference is when I'm dealing with adults who've got 20 or 30 years of issues and, and patterns that they've developed, It's now becomes a change management model. You've got to kind of get them to change a habit they've already got existing. When you're dealing with a five or six-year-old, they don't have those habits yet. They might have a little bit of it, but, you know, that experience of interacting with lots of other people is new to them. So, you know, you've got an opportunity to really get in earlier and, and work in that space. So for me, that's, that's kind of the key piece. This is a work that, that I'm really focused on in my book around explaining to a school how they can do this better, what, what kind of patterns of, of breaking patterns or setting good habits in place deliberately as teachers and schools is a key piece for what I kind of advocate.
0: How does someone go from being a police officer to being a counselor, Going to basically going, to being a counselor, helping people with mental issues and being there? It's a, it's a completely different realm. Like, please, yeah, <laughs> I get it. You help people as a police officer, yeah but more you're now more dealing with the mental part of it the mental aspect of it what how what made you transition from that to what you're doing now
1: yeah yeah, look, a lot of people, when they look at my resume, they ask the same question. And so for me, I guess there were some key touch points. I, I was always interested in psychology. When I was at high school, Silence of the Lambs and profiling was kind of this new Bing, yeah. thing. You know, John Douglas and the FBI were really doing this stuff. So I was very excited by psychology, but probably for the wrong reasons, looking at you know people <laughs> going around killing people, which isn't, which isn't exactly ideal. But that's kind of got me interested in psychology. Then when I, I did a science degree in psychology and pharmacology, so I was kind of looking at also how you know medication and stuff affects people's brains and their psychology but i was really interested in in the forensic side even though back then i'm showing my age this is in the 80s so when i was at university they didn't have forensic actual psychology departments or anything like that or courses specific to that so i was very broad science degree in psych so i did that became a police officer with the view of trying to go into one of those kind of squads back then in Australia, police forces run by the state, so it's all very much similar. In the states, one whole state runs their own police force, and each state runs their own as well. So there was kind of a big consistency around that, and and the training was was pretty good, even even back then. But it got me thinking about you know what I wanted to do going forward. So I wanted to get into forensics originally. But then what happened was I had an interaction with a young lady in the cells one day where I, as a, if you work in certain police stations, the bigger ones, you're attached to a courthouse and people who come in for court cases would step, spend time in our cells while the court case was going on. So they would be in there. But I won't bore you with it, but the way it's set up is usually obviously they've got to keep men and women separated and there's a lot less women coming through than the men. And at this particular time, I was in charge of the cells for a period. We used to do 3 months stints in there, and there was this young lady in there, and she was maybe 24, 25, a heroin addict who'd been kind of in and out of, you know, the court system, done a lot of silly things. Nothing too crazy, but a lot of thefts and stuff to support her heroin habit and you know other things that, that come along with, with that whole habit issue. Anyway, she was by herself in the cells, no other women with her. The other guys kind of have an exercise yard in a few different cells. So I was talking to her through the flap in the door like you see in, in normal prisons where you serve them their food. And I just got talking to her about, you know, ways she could maybe change, you know, your predicament. I'm like, you're stuck here. You've done what you've done. You can't change the past, but you've got to try and focus on what can you do? So she had a very young child who was with her parents. Obviously, she's going to lose her child while she's in prison, all that stuff. So I really just tried to talk to her about how she could focus and change, you know, what she wanted to do with her life, that, you know, this is a chance to get off the drugs. It's less likely to get it in the prison, I'm assuming, than just out in the streets and all that stuff. And, you know, you're not hanging around with the same people. So looking at just changing. And so I had done a fair bit of the psych stuff, obviously up to that point anyway. And then, yeah, just kind of, um, you know, had a few days of talking to her about that. Didn't think too much of it. And so then she was out of the cells and goes to a genuine prison. And then I didn't think much of it, But maybe a year later, um, doing a run, this is when I used to play football as as an adult and and keeping more fit. And I used to go on this regular run that I, I went on. And anyway, this particular day, this person comes running out of this house. And I kind of see it in the corner of my eye and it ends up being her. She's put on a lot more weight, looks a lot more healthy. And she basically says, look, I, you know, I got out a little while ago now. I thought about what you told me when I was in there and, and really focused on getting my child back, focusing on a future, future for me and my daughter. And so all this. And so she said, look, I'm living with my parents now, which was the house she just come running out of. I just wanted to say thank you because I saw you running past You know, I recognized you and I wanted to say thank you. And I got kind of emotional about that. And it was a a changing experience for what I kind of wanted to do after that. I I really focused on uh, going into the true counseling side. I went back to university. I was studying rehabilitation counseling on how I could then impact on, you know, people's because this this clearly made a change for this person. Uh, That kind of really got me going down that path. Yes, the other stuff came, the HR stuff came and, and getting those statistics was another point where I realized... Doing one-on-one counselling is great in a sense, but if you want to get to more people and impact more people in a positive way, one-on-ones is not going to work. So as much as counselling, I don't know what it's like where, where you guys are, but certainly here in Australia, we've got a lot of awareness things going. We've got Are You U OK? Day and this kind of stuff, which is great for awareness. But the practical stuff, oh, sorry, the, the end result of all those things is all about, oh, if you're feeling like you've got problems, go and see a counsellor. Again, one-on-one stuff. So for me, I was like, yeah, I like the one-on-one stuff, but how do I get that into more people to understand a bit more about how their bodies work? So that's kind of the stuff that I've been focusing on. That's how I've kind of ended up being doing what I'm doing now.
0: With the guest that I I released the episode yesterday, we discussed about how... They don't show enough programming on TV so that people who, who are like right now, especially with the pandemic here and so many people feeling secluded and so many people feeling alone. I don't think they, they send out enough messages out there to, to, to let people know, like, yo, oh, if you need, if you need help or if you need someone to talk to, contact this number. I don't, I don't feel that we're doing enough here personally. These are, these are 18, 19 year old kids who are taking their lives because because uh-huh. they feel alone and they, they feeling so, so many different ways. So for me, I think here, I I don't know as far as Australia, but here personally, I don't think they they put enough focus into it. I think they they can do more. They can always do more to me.
1: Absolutely. Look, one of the things I, I often talk about is I think I say to people, look, when you think of our physical health, we know a lot about carbs. We know about diet. We know about, you know, there's all different kinds of cardio, muscles, building muscles. There's personal trainers. There's gyms. There's all this stuff and information and resources. But then you go, what do we got when we talk, talk about mental health and we go oh we have counselors and maybe a few books out in the world that people may access but none of that's running through the school as a, a genuine program when when I went to school and this is back in you know, the 70s and 80s you know we all had physical training stuff we all you know you did your gym and and you would do lots of activities you know you got to keep active to stay fit you know you got to eat Better and hopefully less, and not worry eat so much sugar and all that stuff. We know a lot of that stuff. Why don't we know a lot about psychology? Understanding how your brain and your neurons work. Understanding how you know. Look, I, I give a stupid example all the time. I say clear statistics that people that own a dog live ten years more than people who don't. Why do you think that is? So one, just one basic thing is one. Is your oxytocin levels go up? Your love drug. I've got a new puppy at the moment. And when I walk down the street and any person walks past, you see their faces light up. It's like, a, wow, look, a puppy. And you know, they, they make little baby face talk and all this stuff. That's just one interaction with a puppy you can change those things. Understanding why that helps. What other things like that can we do in terms of, you know, wanting to raise your oxytocin levels, wanting to decrease your amygdala-driven emotional stuff. And so I focus a lot on what's happening in the body, but what are the practical things you can do to help those things? And do and you know what those things are? And you know, some people aren't dog people, so they're not gonna like the puppy as much, but they might see a cat or they might wanna, whatever it is. What works for you, they're the things that people should be exploring, in my view. And so helping kids understand some of that and then giving them lots of options and lots of things to play with and touch and interactions. And, you know, that's the other thing about the more people you interact with, the better your relationships are. And then that also enhances, you know, your longevity and and your happiness and, and all the general stuff. So for me, I just think we need to, to your point, we need to focus on the right stuff Yes, awareness and putting phone numbers of who to call is great. But again, that's that's a um, a medical model where you're in trouble now. You need to get help. I'm saying you're not in trouble now. Let's start doing stuff now. That hopefully in the future you won't get in trouble. We're all going to have hits in in this world, right? We're human beings. Our families are human beings. People are going to die that we love. All that stuff. So we can't prevent that. No one is going to have a perfect life where nothing's going to happen in their life. What you got to try and do is go hey, can I see the benefit in any of these exchanges because you love that person and now they've left doesn't mean you can't have great memories and reflect on what they've helped you with and, and all that stuff. And yes, you're going to be sad, but just don't get stuck being sad and, and not looking after yourself and, you know, all those things. So for me, that's a big part of whatever programs, you know, government's are interested in, that's where it's got to be. Yes, we've still got to have the ones where we know people who are in trouble now, get them to a counsellor, get them to the right people, but let's focus here as well so for me there's a change management model for the ones that are struggling and then there's a setting good programs in place so that hopefully more resilience can come through and, and we can help each other and do things better that way
0: yeah no because to me as well to me as well it's just they're, they're not oh, how can I put this um program as far as far as the programming goes they they, they, they do need to ha- there's such a stigmatism against mental illness they don't look at it as what it truly is. It's a disease, and and need, people need help, and they don't treat it that way. They they it, it's like frowned upon and looked into a negative light when some of these people can't help what's going on with. What's, what's going on in their brain it's, these, these, it's something the brain is something that's very complicated and these people don't have the answers so instead of trying to be helpful they just they, they put a label on them and it just uh-huh. and it's just sad because and, and like I grew up I'm, I was born I grew up in the, the 80s and 90s so I'm a little little bit behind you but not that by much sure and <laughs> and for us we, we've like we're, the, like we're one of the last we're, we're the last generation that really actually played out side and got to spend, got to really know your environment and and there's there was mm-hmm. always some someone in the in the community in the neighborhood that had issues but they, they were more obvious issues that you could sell you that person was something wrong with them but you you yep. you always wondered there were certain people other people that they looked normal but also had mental issues that we weren't aware of and it, it was a different time mm-hmm. and now with yep. with the way technology is and all the information that we have it's easy to diagnose and and understand how now you now that i think about it like what that person was wow if you think about that person back then was probably suffering from some of the things that you're learning that Uh we're learning about now
1: yeah definitely Look, one of the key things I run, people always ask me, like I run um, sessions with with like school-aged kids and, and kids that are playing sport. I was supposed to do one. Unfortunately, COVID prevented it, but um, I was supposed to do one with a sporting group, uh, about three or 400 kids, you know, 10 to 17, I think they were. And um, they had a couple of suicides last year and, and the president of, of the um, organisation asked me to come and run a session with the kids. And then I, I really wanted to tell him, Because you said, oh, we want to try and focus on, you know, what can we look for in terms of this, this, this. And and there's a couple of reasons to your point also around technology. When we were kids, you knew everyone that lived within probably a kilometre of you because you kind of hung out, you were outside. So natural interaction or propinquity, as they call it, being close to people, just closeness around you, you know, your neighbors, they know your kids, you know, if you're not home and they go, Hey, what are you doing? And they look after each other. So there's a community piece to that that Mm -hmm. does. And then we know each other, right? Like, you know, Clint's normally a happy person. If Clint's sad, you kind of pick that up pretty quick. But if we don't know our neighbors and we'd say, you know, you might just wave and not really talk to them and not interact and know them. It's a lot harder to pick those things up. The other thing is when I'm working with this kind of stuff, I, I really want the parents there because this is the part, and this is your point around the stigma, as a community or, or as a society, sorry, you know, a lot of countries, I'm sure America is the same as, as Australia around that whole Western influences where, you know, the stiff upper lip, big boys don't cry, all that stuff. So there's these comments that we as parents or my parents certainly did it. And, and I know everyone else. we use fear as hovering punishment over a child. And when it comes to anything, like you know, if you do that, you're going to lose this, or if you do that, this is going to happen. Don't make me come over there, all that kind of stuff, right? That's fear. So we develop these fear characteristics. You know, we think we come out okay. Most people do. But what happens is when it becomes something like there's these undertones of the mental health stigma, oh, I don't, you know, that kid's not all there, you know, or they use derogatory terms and call them retarded or whatever it is. So th- there's, there's there's negative things that pop into the little kid's head when they hear people talk about that, including their parents, including their friends. Oh, look at the loony or look at this. And you know, I'm yeah. using these terms. This is what we've heard over the years. I am not. I don't, certainly don't use that in, in general speak, but they're the type of things that pop in your head and you hear it. So you go, oh, I don't want to be called that. So if you are struggling you're less likely to want to talk to anyone about it, right? Because you don't want that. Yeah. And so we build up we build up this view of what mental health is or people who are struggling with mental health that, you know, they're seen differently, they're treated differently. So, so people won't say things. And so, you know, when I run a session on, on helping the parents understand some of this, I'm saying you've got to create a safety for your children to have a conversation. Even if you've said those things in the past and they've got that undercurrent, you need to have, you know, we have the, the conversation with your parents, your kids about sex and all that kind of stuff, right? There needs to be more conversations around your mental health. And saying, no matter what happens, no matter what I've said in the past, you can come and talk to me and your mother about anything. We'd rather you come and talk to us, we help you fix it, right? And so creating safety to have conversations is a key piece. There's a really good model called the dialogue model, which comes out of a book called Crucial Conversations. And I use that model a lot because there's two conversations when people are talking. You and I are talking now. I don't feel uncomfortable. You don't seem to be too uncomfortable. So we're having a free-flowing, throwing information to what they call a blue pool. The moment there's a safety issue, like if, if you and I were interacting and we're probably people that don't get on with each other, there's a fear factor about what you're saying and a, and a safety aspect about what I'm saying in your way. So there's other conversations happening in your head at the same time. We've both got our brains, we're both thinking stuff, and if we feel uncomfortable, we either go to silence or violence. Fight or flight kicks in, right? Because when you're fearful, they're the things that get dominated. And so this is the same with any conversation. If I'm a person who over the years, you know, I've heard Dad say, oh, you know, big boys don't cry, and now I'm feeling emotional. Go, okay, i okay, can't let Dad see me like this. So I don't want to have that conversation that I'm struggling. So you put on the brave face. You do these things. And there's lots of reasons for this. There's cultural reasons. Some cultures are very, you know, a male-dominant thing. I'm not saying it's only males, but I'm just using that as an example. But there's lots of reasons that people don't say things because of the culture, the religion yeah. that they're brought up in because, they, you know, they frown on these No, you're,
0: actually, you're absolutely right because even here, the Hispanic and the black communities – it's frowned upon, it, it's not, it's not, it's it's like, oh, it, like, one of the things you grow up listening to is like, oh, boys, uh, big boys don't cry, like you said, mm-hmm. oh, and, and stuff like that, but it, it's frowned upon, it's like, it's frowned upon for us to show our emotions. It, it's frowned upon, it's frowned upon for us to ask for help. We, it, like, it's a sign of weakness. No, it's, it's a sign that people are, are, people are just like everyone else, men are just like everyone else, they need help. It, it's no difference, it's... Yeah we struggle just like everyone else we need that outlet where we can go and speak to someone if we're having our issues we we it can't be that oh yeah you're a man you're strong you need to be able to handle like no it's, the the brain is a very complicated thing and and the emotions mm-hmm. is, is is something that that run wild and so when people would say like oh you Especially, like I said, especially here in the states, in the black and the brown community, it's frowned upon. Men aren't supposed to be weak. Men aren't supposed to talk their emotions. Uh-huh. Men aren't supposed to express how they feel because it's a sign of weakness. No, uh-huh. I, I, you, it's not. It, it's you need help. Sometimes you need to just talk to someone to relieve some tension, some stress, anything that's on your chest, anything to help you uh-huh. get these things out of your, get out, out of your mind and and out out there so uh-huh. people can help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what happens when someone does show that emotion? Like, have you seen someone? What What do they say about that person?
0: Oh, that big sissy, that little punk. Like, it, it's it.
1: So yeah, yeah no. So. so you think about what what the other people in the group who hear that comments, the other people in the group who hear that comments, what do they say? They got to. So guess what? Drives them to silence because there's a there's a safety issue in it for them. As in, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be not part of the group you know i want to show them and that's a big part of it is is understanding that we all want to fit in right and this is the beauty about i mean beauty if we if we really get to the heart of this stuff and, and the stuff where um if i if one of the things that i put in the book is around teachers having children in groups at the end of the day say so, just for 15 minutes and go we're just going to have discussions and we're going to talk about stuff that you didn't like that happened to you today. So, little Johnny pulled my hair. Okay, how did that make you feel? So, one, we're getting the children talking about it for starters. They're getting used to feeling a little bit courageous. The first time they do it, it might be uncomfortable, but it's facilitated. We're picking on the little things first, because then as they get bigger, we've been able to deal with the little ones. We'll start to deal with the big ones. So, from a, a bullying perspective, if little Johnny's normally, or a future bully, if you were like, we're trying to get calibration of what behavior is acceptable from the group. We're also trying to get the whole group going, you know what? I don't like the way you treated her either. Because one of the things that you find with bullying is there's a bully. There's lots of people that see the bully, bully the person, and they don't like it either. But they won't say anything because, again, fear factor they don't of be yeah. the game for They don't want to be
0: bullied, yeah. Then they so, don't want to be bullied.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they do the old bystander effect stuff. They all stand back and go, whoa, I'm glad they're picking on Clint and not me, right? But there's 20 of them and they're all thinking the same thing, one bully and nobody saying anything. No, Or, or sometimes you get person that does say something who stands up for the person being bullied and then the bully backs down and it changes the dynamic again. But, you know, doing stuff like this at a school level where we want to help the kids be able to talk about anything, we want them to calibrate bad behaviour. We want to also let the other ones, because this is the beauty about when When one kid shows the courage to say something, lots of other kids will follow, right? I mean, you look at the Harvey Weinstein case, for example, right? Once one woman came out, hundreds of women came out. Why were they all sitting there in silence? Because there was skin in the game for them. When one person went first, they go, ah, now, I can. And there's lots of these stories, right? I was watching something on the gymnastics US thing with the doctor recently, same thing. One girl came out, then there's all these, and it was in the hundreds. And you go, wow, you know, hundreds of. Girls are putting up with this yeah, nasty yeah, stuff because and- a, a lot of them feel, a lot of them feel
0: like they're not going to believe me they're, they're not going to believe
1: mm-hmm. what
0: I'm saying they're going to believe this man's word over mine yeah. he, he's a proof he's a known person I'm just a regular yeah. old gymnast no one yeah. no one's gonna no one's gonna say anything and yeah like you said it takes one person
1: well, we drive we drive a lot of that ourselves and and this is why I think you know those kinds of and it's a skill. Because one of the things that I certainly found in the workplace, you've got these 50-year-old men, and look, some I've worked in steel industry, meat industry, you know, fairly tough, burly blokes, and some of them are too scared to have conversations with with people they work with every day, and they treat them badly, or they call them things, or whatever, and they won't have the conversation because they haven't learnt that skill, and they still use that fear factor and undercurrent and underbelly, as I call it. We 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 don't realise that we make more decisions with how we feel. And how we think about things and so understanding that more when you when you teach this stuff with kids and they start to build that confidence and self-confidence to go I can stand up for myself a lot of people you know when I see it at, at work we might be really timid people over the years and you know They get treated badly or they get heaps of work dumped on them and, you know, they'll accept it and smile and they do all the look at me nice things. And then at home, they're secretly hating themselves. They self-loathe. They get into depressive states. They have high anxiety. And these are all outcomes of us not helping them earlier on and go, I can deal with stuff just because you treated me badly doesn't mean I can't stand up and at least have a conversation or feel comfortable enough that I'm not going to stay in this workplace because you treat me badly. I'm good enough to go somewhere else. A lot of times these people go, Oh, I can't get another job. So I'll have to stay and put up with this boss's, rubbish behaviour or you know work and so I I think all these things do add up and if people feel like they're not in control um, and they put up with a lot of stuff here they're the smiling person everyone likes them but they treat them like a bit of a doormat at work and they go home and then they think oh I should have stood up for myself I'm putting up with horrible stuff and we kind of just get stuck and so, you know, all these things, again, I, I relay back to them as kids and go, wow, you know, I wonder like th- there's some people that have come to see me after I've run my sessions that look, I did struggle with mental health as a kid or I was abused as a child. And this is what happened to me. And so part of me is about ha- helping them deal with that and go, don't let that be a dominant piece in your life. You can change those things. You can use this to grow. And so, you know, for, for me, it's it's important to to really focus on the change management stuff but also on on the the dealing with children and and really helping them, but helping the adults too. Like a lot of times the adults and our parents would have been the same, best intentions for us, right? Because for them, they also go, they're skin in the game for my child. I don't want my child to be called the sissy. Same kind of conversations you just said. They know this even more from an older school time, Mm -hmm. right? You don't go in there and, you know, you go in and stand up for yourself because they're going to take it on you. Like, you know, I got bullied at school and my dad's advice was get in there and, you know, start Mm -hmm. swinging. If they start swinging, you go first. You might get beat up, but they're going to let you go. I remember throwing dishes at kids and stuff that used to bully me, and, you know, I became better friends with them years later. But I look back now and I'm resorting to violence to kind of counteract the violence that, they back down away from me, and so that's not the right thing either. You know, you kind of want to hope that we could get better at this and but again, not use violence as our way yeah, of getting. But,
0: but our parents didn't know any better. This is this is how they were raised. It's it, it was just something that was passed on from generation to generation. It's just yeah. glad. It's just good now. Now it's just people are, are realizing that that's not the way. It was yeah. for that time, but there are different ways to do it. There's different ways to to to, to show kids like okay, yeah it's not cool to get bullied and everything but violence re- resorting to violence is not the answer like we re- retaliating is not the answer it's not going to make you feel any better so with the way it is now yeah it's I'm glad that we're realizing that the way our parents raised us they did the best that they could It's now our, it's now our turn and they need these next generations to, to get away from that mindset and, and start evolving, start realizing that mental issue key and need to be focused on more. Like, and like you said, start at a young age, start attacking this at a young age, teaching these kids at, start molding them now at, at the age that, listen, it's okay to be different. It's okay to be unique. You're, you're, you're still special. No one, and, and don't let them, and be able to express yourself and, and be able to talk to your parents and talk to to your friends and being able to there shouldn't be nothing wrong with being able to express yourself
1: oh totally and and, and i think it should be encouraged more to, to involve everybody you know what one, one of the things i love about dialogue model when you really focus on it and you think about it the the, the, the shy kid is usually somebody that's also got some fear factor which is why they're not interacting with people but if you're inclusive and you start bringing everyone together and they get used to just talking to anyone and sort of like oh, there's a divide between me and you, like some people for whatever reason have the view and, you know, it might have been things that are said. This is where the, the, the socioeconomics of, of a situation becomes a problem too, right? If, if I'm not wearing the right labels and everyone's got Versace on and I'm walking around in something that they bought it, whatever store that's not you know at that level you know people will look down on you and think and, and and people feel inferior by that or feel like they are felt that way and so you know they get treated differently and then they start to go inside themselves again and so this is the importance of doing it really really early before those things kick in usually high school is a lot tougher to deal with because kids have got oh I've got to have the right phone and I've got to have the right bag and all this but if you're five or six you don't give a rats you go hey there's a new dude Who's he? I don't know him. He looks nice. He was nice to me. He talked to me. He, you know. And then it's it's about interaction. When, when we're kind of older, yeah, when you're we, a kid, we can choose who we want to interact yeah,
0: with. When you're a kid, you don't care. You just you, you play with everybody. You're just there to have fun. And and, and, every, and yeah. as you get older, that's when you start getting into materialistic things and you start separating people because, oh, that person wears this kind of clothes or this person wears this. Yeah. Or, and, and, and it's funny because everybody, like over, over here, like over here, everybody wants to be into styles and all that. And then but if you truly think about it, like the true true wealthy people don't buy Versace, don't buy these things. These are things that are given to them. These are things that these companies give them so they can flaunt really? on the on the re- on the carpets and the runways. Yeah. And they're not paying for yeah. this stuff.
1: Walking promotions. yeah. So, but the ones that get <laughs> yeah. suckered into
0: it are the regular people who who thinks that oh this is it. No, so it's it's just so much different. It's, it's I I, yeah. I it's, we're, we're, we're at least here in the states it's where um needs to get out get away from materialistic things and start focusing more on the people
1: no like a hundred percent it's funny when we think about um cyber bullying, or not even bullying necessarily but wanting to be like everybody else so people that obviously on the internet they see these rich people wearing this great stuff people are comments, oh you look amazing and luckily, you know the kardashians are taking photos and oh, you get, look whatever it is but the reality of it is it becomes an issue where like in our day and age there's less physical uh threat there's no lion going to come and eat you yeah there's the normal stuff out in the real world but essentially we don't have that many physical threats day to day but when we think about why the internet why the image and all that is a threat to to a young person it's all around feeling included and not wanting to be excluded or ostracized. So there's, there's a a social threat to them. So they feel, again, I said about feel right. Oh, she's got the bag. I don't have the bag. Why do we have to be so poor? And then they start to, you know, don't feel good about themselves because of what I'm wearing. I mean, a shirt is a shirt, right? At the end of the day, it's here to keep you warm or whatever in terms of general security. And yeah, it'd be great to have certain things. And there's nothing wrong with buying stuff. There's no, there's no issue with that. But what happens is people don't understand how the brain works. Our there's so many – in your brain there's a greater experience on the anticipation of buying something or the anticipation of certain things than the actual things. So they buy the – oh, I really want that bag, you know, a Gucci bag or whatever, and their brain's so excited and they want to feel good about that, and that's why they go out and buy. And then two days later they're looking at something else because that bag really isn't the thing that's keeping the buzz alive. You know, to your point, if you do well and do things with people and lots of other people, you get that greater – tapestry of emotion where it's a constant you know people coming to see you and talk to you and interactions and it it doesn't cost that much it's your time and and building those things and the importance of those things like i was mentioning before about you know having the dog and why does that enhance a person's life it's it's the same stuff those material things aren't going to sustain you because they're just things and there's there's no they don't get, give you back anything. You might feel great when you're walking down the street with your Gucci bag and, you know, that gives you that buzz, look at me, I'm better than you. But on that real humanistic level, they're, they're not any better. In fact, a lot yeah. of them are more ancient people yeah. and they don't, you know, h- how many rich people don't commit suicide? You know, seemingly high rich, rich, you yeah. have everything going for them and you go, they got their life all out for them. But no, they're not happy. And then you got another guy, you know, watched a documentary of these people I can't remember where they were now, but they lived in this village. They had a bugger all, basically. And you've never seen happier people. You know, they're playing with bottles and sticks and stuff, and this is their toys that they play with. And you look at them, and they, they're just so much happier. Yes, they're poor. They've got enough to eat, but,
0: but they don't realise it. They don't realise that they're poor. They, they it's just what's around them it's it's what's around them they don't they don't think about it as being rich or poor they're just finding things to be happy with in life they look at look at the brighter side of of things not just not just focus and like you said yeah look at all these look at all these celebrities that you think that they're so happy and they're so rich and they all that they're adored by millions of people and they take their Mm lives right
1: absolutely
0: so yeah being being rich doesn't 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 exclude you from getting from having mental illness is it's it doesn't
1: Absolutely
0: so people again, I love the fact that you're do what that you're doing what you're doing at at a young level. You're starting at a young level. You're starting with a young kid, and that's where it needs to be. That's where to start. That's where you need to start at is helping mold these kids now at a young age, uh-huh. focusing on 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 making them a better person, so that they know how to treat each other when they're older, and when and then when and they yeah. can and they're able to help each other oh. when they realize that one of one of their own is is in is in need. And again, that goes again like. Me and my nephew and all of us—we always screaming. We are a village because we need to get back to that community style, which we've gotten away Come from. On. We've gotten away from like we have neighbors. I bet. I, honestly, I pro- I waved to probably a couple of my neighbors, but that's and it's and it's and that's a shame on me. But it's it's also, that's how society's gone. It's gone to that level where we're not we're no longer a community. We're just individuals now.
1: No, definitely. And I think, um, you know, doing things a little bit differently, like, you know, I'm not saying you, you go and do this tomorrow, and I'm a bit the same. I I've actually deliberately go and talk to some of my neighbours a bit more now because I'm saying all this stuff, and then I'm, I'm like you. I'm going, I don't do some of that stuff. Yes, we say we're time poor, and sometimes it's you've only got that split second of interaction, but there's no reason to go, oh, so, you know, I'm clean, or, you know, introduce yeah. yourself and, and that kind of stuff. And so um, it's amazing how when you do more of that, you'll find that, they'll talk to you more next time Or they talk about the dog like the guy next door now i know who he is and he's got a dog i've only moved in this place a few months ago but yeah we can do lots of things that enhance some of that for ourselves right like yeah we, we can do things differently and and that's kind of where, where all this stuff sort of started from me was you know because a while back there i, I was sitting you know in, in a pretty decent job as a as an executive hr person and, and getting decent money and all that and then i was like I'm not getting to enough people to do this. Like at work, I see what happens when I help people at the work level. So I might get, you know, three or four hundred at a time or, or this kind of stuff. And some employees I worked with you know, might have over a thousand. But you're still only getting to a small amount. And when I really wrote the book, is about saying, well, how do I get to more people? You know, the social media stuff can work in our favor if we get promotion stuff. You get to the right person. And, and, and look, these people are influential, right? No one knows Clint Adams. So Clint Adams needs to put himself out there to be talking about this stuff. And there's people out there who got way more influence. And I'm not saying that they're dumb or anything like that but they're not necessarily doing anything positive yeah. in this space. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you kind of want to try to help them get that and use their influence to try to get to, to more people and, and get involved and, and work on, you know, getting to the schools, getting to the right people, getting parents who want to talk about it, getting people involved in that whole kind of movement. And so, you know, for, for for, for us, it's about starting that and, and, and working on, on doing those things. So there's a few things I've got kind of coming up this year, which, which hopefully will allow me to actually see people in, you know, in schools and in organisations. Unfortunately, last year was a bit of a write-off, as you can appreciate. Yeah. Um, but look, th- things are the way they are. But no, it's, it's been really good work for, for me personally. Like you said, you know, when, when you know you're doing good things, you kind of feel good about yourself. Like this last 12 months has been such a great, or the last six months um, when I've gone to really trying to do this full time and, and, and give up my work and stuff like that. So I, I only do consulting work now and not working for a company anymore. So really focus on doing those things. Oh yeah, like, I I
0: started my podcast at at the, at the end of March, and I released my first episode at the end of April. And once I got behind the mic, I realized this is what I wanted to do. This is when I and and then when people started when I started getting on guests, and people started commenting and telling me, "Hey, I enjoy your show. This particular show inspired me to go do something." And so when once that once I started getting those comments that feeling of like wow i have a purpose people are actually uh-huh. listening i have i have an audience i need to start spreading out these positive messages and, and and spreading out the message that you're not alone and you need and if you need help there are people out here to help you yep. so absolutely I, I, I find i find that this is my calling I, it's it's meant for me to help spread the word and and spread messages positive messages out there and just and try to help as That's many sensitive. people as possible
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, that's the great thing about, I know we can bag the internet and and bag social media, but because we can do it so quickly and if people like something and it and it resonates with them like obviously your stuff resonates with people they'll, they'll put it back out there and they can send it out quickly and they can touch the 300 people and their friends can touch another 300 people and suddenly you know you've got a movement that's you know older days you didn't have that you know one person would read a book and then they'd tell someone or yeah. two people at home but the, everything can spread so quickly so it's great that you're getting the results since march wow that's fantastic yeah it's like my first few months of course
0: i was it was me breaking in and not really knowing what i'm doing and i still don't know what i'm doing but (laughs) i'm growing i'm growing and i'm having a great time and i'm and i'm having i'm having some great conversations and the last few episodes i've i've spoken to people that that are really trying to make a difference out there that are really trying to help people and really just be positive just like the it's so much negativity out there that's and Very for true. me one of the things i've tried to focus on is just try to put try to try to battle that back with some with some positive content
1: yeah it's funny you say that because a lot of people don't necessarily want to be negative they they, they don't realize this is where when you understand when people understand you know they can kind of see through what they've been like i can understand oh wow some of my own thought patterns aren't great me being negative about somebody else i'm actually doing it to boost myself up oh look at his crappy t-shirt oh look at that doesn't actually enhance me might for a little bit i feel better because i'm trotting on someone else but in the long term i'm not actually dealing with why do i feel like this why do i feel i need to dump on some other guy um and so understanding some of that and building your self-image up building your you know, how you generally feel within your own skin that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs stuff where if you're at the top end and you're, you you know, feeling great about yourself and and all that kind of thing, and you want to help people, that's the key part. When you go down that ladder, it's all about the security. I I want to feel secure in some way because I'm not. And so when I'm not, this is the outcome. One, I can either get aggressive towards other people. I say nasty things to other people. So understanding some of those things is such a key piece, right? Where The negativity, if if we can get past all that, it's all about me and just think about me and get into the, I can help myself, I can help other people and and it's a bigger, you know, approach, you you feel better about it and then the negativity slowly starts to go away. But what happens is you get a group of people all in that negative state. They all are like a whole group of people all wearing the right gear, hanging it on another person. Again, where that bully mentality comes in and then they pick on people and then the in group and the out group. And there's that exclusions and, you know, they're not quite as good as us. And we've all seen the mean girls movie kind of stuff. So these things happen because we allow it to happen. Whereas like I was saying, if we start that earlier on and kids feel comfortable with each other and go, Hey, on we've talked about this hundreds of times it's not nice when you say that about that person it's not nice when you say that to me i don't like how you saying it to them and and the group you can actually the group has a lot more power if we allow it to and so building that group dynamics, like if you're in a classroom with kids that have all interacted, that all get on great, they know they're different. One person might be dark, one person might be white, One whatever, and they don't care because they're so young and they're interacting with them. They go, oh, I know a Chinese kid. He's really nice. His name's blah, and we talk and we do this, and and, and we're bringing diversity in in the right way, not you're going to get something because you're this or you're going to get something because you're that. Um, this is about inclusiveness, understanding, and just interacting with people people and going, yeah, he likes maths. I'm not as good at maths. Doesn't mean anything. I don't have to be, you know, oh, you're the dummy or you're the kid or you're the this, you know, and the labels that come with that. If you've been picked on and you can talk about it, and you can interact and people go, oh, I didn't really mean to upset him. Now I realize it upsets him. I'm calibrating in my head. This is good behavior and that's not good behavior. And this is what the group thinks. And so, you know, they're key, key things in in helping us develop, I guess, that next generation and and really focusing on in a deliberate way and, and then breaking down some of those walls about not wanting to talk about mental health, not wanting to talk about I've been, you know, sexually assaulted. Because this is the other thing that happens, right? Unfortunately, young kids, if they get things happening to them at home that's, you know, true childhood trauma, parents aren't very nice, or there's some person in the family that's doing nasty things to this kid, they they don't go and talk about it. But if they were getting normal, into, and so these things, sometimes they get found out till later, and they're dealing with it in silence Don't know how to deal with it because, hey, it's unnatural, but they don't know any different because they're not really, you know, even sexually active or anything like that. So they don't understand what's going on. They know it's not right, but they feel bad. They feel dirty or whatever they feel. So even those things coming on through early school life, if we can get the kids who might just start talking about something that happened, even if, you know, someone goes, hmm, that doesn't sound right. What, What do you mean? And, you know, explore the conversation more. You get more opportunity to hopefully get to that kid before it's years later and and they've had to deal with a lot of trauma. And, you know, that's another piece that I really, you know, always bugs me around. Kids who experience trauma are also the ones more likely to have mental health problems down the track. So if we can get in early enough, hopefully we can avert extra years of, of trauma and dealing with that stuff in silence. Definitely, definitely. So, Clint, let everybody know where they can find
0: your book at, and where they can they can reach you at.
1: Sure. So, so you can get on Amazon. Amazon sell it. It's called Lighting the Blue Flame by Clint Adams. Obviously, me. Um, unfortunately, my my publishers in the UK. So, there's been some issues getting physical copies, especially to Australia. But I don't know. Obviously, maybe the US a little bit different. But Kindle's probably the quickest way if people are really interested in it. It's got its own soundtrack. Lots of QR codes in the book deliberately linking to, to various things so it's a bit interactive it's probably a little bit different to to your average book and yeah it's, it's about trying to help with suicide prevention and then the initiatives i talk about in here a lot of those are in the book uh, as well with with some extra content obviously there too so yeah lighting the blue flame
0: and and your and your and your group is the the blue flame project
1: Yes, I have a website, www.blueflameprojects.com.au. Um, it's kind of a work in progress. I've only really been on for about a week or two. I've still got to do some things on there. But you can read about um, the book in there. It gives you a um, preview to a few chapters if you want to just start it out and see if it's something that you are interested in or not. Um, so, yeah, you can have a look there. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy to get to. All right,
0: Clint, I appreciate you being on the show, man. This was great having you on. Thank Uh, you for having me. Oh, no, we could definitely do this again. Um, Anytime you have anything you want to promote, man, shoot me a message and we could definitely make this happen again.
1: Awesome. Well, maybe my second book, I'm working on my second one now, which is like I mentioned about doing physical health stuff. I'll do one on mental health stuff, like why all these things can help people. And so hopefully I can do that this year as well.
0: So if you get it done this year, then definitely we can definitely set something up and you can definitely come back on and promote it.
1: Thank you, man. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, man. You have a great day. Take care. And now it's time for shout outs. Big shout out to my Real Wise family, King Say's Poppy J, Brandy J. Big shout outs to the homie Chrissy Richards from Cypher Knowledge with Chrissy. Big shout out to the boss lady, Fina. Love you, baby. Big shout out to all the essential workers out there. God bless y'all. Be safe. And um, again, big shout out to my man, Angel Martinez. We miss you, bro. I, again, I'm always lost for words when I mention you, so to our biggest fan Hell is Dark we appreciate you and we love you and we miss you brother R.I.P. and your boy Wise is out peace out
1: thanks for listening